Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. On this week's episode, Spence and Buzz get to sit down with Superdoc, RJ Kama, and talk whiskey, collecting, Grand Seiko, Omega, and the Movember initiative and what it means for men's health. All right, well, welcome everybody to episode 43 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Uh, I guess we could call this the Movember edition. Um, we've got with us uh, Superdoc himself, RJ Kama. RJ, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so obviously, we're going to talk uh, whiskey watches, um, a little bit about what uh, got you into collecting, and then a little bit more about Movember. So uh, we always start our episodes with a, a drink check and a wrist check. Uh, so what do you have on wrist and what uh, what are you drinking tonight? I've got the, uh, so it's the Planet Ocean, the the Sarah Gold, the, the Chronograph, Omega. And um, we've got the Glenlivet 18, which Very is nice. probably the best thing for your buck in any scotch right now, at least in my opinion. Two excellent choices. And uh, our former guest, Brodinky, will appreciate that you said Omega. <laughs> <laughs> I got called out on call saying Omega once, and I will yeah. never live that down. <laughs> That's how Stephen Urquhart always said it, so yeah. pretty official word. Yes, yes. All right, Buzzy, what have you got for us? Okay. Well, I like to do something fun for our guests when I can. And for our guest over in Canada, I'm having one of my old favorites, Kirkland's best Canadian whiskey. <laughs> That's right. It's delicious. It's nutritious. I've been on a beer kick, so it's been a couple of episodes since I've had one of these. 91 points by the Beverage Tasting Institute. That's 91 points of light on the hill. Check it out. <laughs> he loves this one. And, and the... He really, and we've talked about it. My wife has a bottle of Kirkland's signature Malbec that also got 91 from the beverage tasting. I think it's yeah. a conspiracy. <laughs> I've never been a huge fan of Canadian whiskey or, or the Canadian wines, even though I'm in a wine region. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lot, lots of dessert wine around uh, there. Yeah. The ice wines. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What are you drinking, Michael? You didn't do a wrist check yet. Actually, Buzzy didn't do a wrist check. Oh, I got to yeah. get moving on that. Okay. <laughs> Parweber Coefficient is on my wrist tonight Ooh. and for a lot of the weekend. It, it has great build quality. You know that a quartz is good when that second hand hits every single marker on the dial right on. Excellent work there. Nice bezel action too, bi-directional, nice and clicky. The cool thing here, it's got that novel Enduro loom. So they've got a separate battery, separate system that keeps keeps the dial lit constantly. Really looking forward to getting them on the podcast on a later episode uh, so my inner engineer can come out for a little whiskey and <laughs> patents. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, we've got that one in on loan from Par Weber. They were nice enough to send us a review piece. So we'll, we'll get that up on our website here soon. And uh, obviously, hopefully looking to have uh, have them on the show at some point to kind of talk about uh, their, their new Enduroloom technology. Um, on the, well, I'll start with a drink. Uh, I've got my new Rift single barrel, the Richter and Phillips uh, barrel pick. I was lucky enough to get back in uh, 
September, I feel like I got it. I can't remember exactly. Uh, from right across the border in um, Newport, Kentucky, a place I used to be able to see from my office back when we were still going into the office. Um, still haven't still haven't been in since March. It's it's weird to think that it's been eight months almost to the day since I was last in the office, um, which is is crazy. Been working from home since then. Um, so that's what I'm drinking tonight. It is barrel proof. Is uh, it's not quite barrel proof, but it is 112 proof. So it's uh, it's a strong one. Um, but it's got a lot of good flavor. Um, and it was the one that was picked at the whiskey and watches event that they held last December, uh, which is cool. And on my wrist, I've got the grand Seiko SBGE two, four, nine, which was the, uh, limited edition blizzard, um, from timeless luxury down in, uh, in Texas. We did our, our family Christmas photos today for the Christmas card. So I figured, uh, winter wonderland, why not, why not throw the blizzard on wrist? Um, so that's, uh, that's what I got. Um, and I know, I know that our guest is a, uh, a big fan of Grand Seiko as well. Grand Seiko, yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic piece too. Thank you. Um, so we've got you on the show. Um, obviously, the first thing we like to we like to talk about uh, with all the uh, fellow collectors we have, RJ, is, is what got you into watches? What first sparked the interest and, and what was uh, what got you into, into collecting? Yeah, it's, you know, those are impossible questions to, to answer. <laughs> it's like, say, what, what made you marry your wife? You know, you <laughs> <laughs> you went on a date and then you know over time something just happened on a different level and so that's the thing is you were old enough where you needed a watch <laughs> and so it went from that that need and then it was a you know a bit of a fashion accessory and then you needed one on a, a leather strap so you needed a dress watch in addition to your sports watch and so it was always you know whatever you could afford at the time is Timex and uh, we had Esquire in Canada at one point. It was a <laughs> was a, my uh, my grail at some point in my life. And so then you had your nice watch, your sport watch, and and just like anything, the more you you get interested in it, the more you develop a, a deeper love and passion. And then it just kind of becomes part of you. And it's just like at what point do you fall in love? You, know, you can't pinpoint it somewhere along the way you look back and then you've got 80 watches so it's all this, <laughs> this natural evolution of things like most collectors have a little bit of a, a collector gene about them i don't know if they've ever identified that scientifically but you know it was comic books and action figures and so always this this need to collect something and feel that you you'd like to have a set or a display or there's meaning behind things that you would acquire and then they had a position and a role so i think that that collector gene i've always had then evolved but it started innocently enough i just needed something to tell time and then i wanted something that i could wear at the special occasions and then i needed something with a blue dial instead of the black dial and then this would go well with that leather jacket and then and then as um as you get out of student loan debt and med school debt and your your pocketbook expands and it opens up a different world and then then the more you take interest in everything else that goes along with watches the more it, it fuels that passion to a, to a larger degree and it just becomes part of of who you are so it's uh it's one of those things i doubt if a lot of collectors can pinpoint you know they'll say things mostly they'll confabulate because they'll say things that sound good and sound like a legitimate explanation 
for the madness. And they'll say, well, it's, well, my father collected watches or I was inspired by this. But really, um, it's, it's because dopamine gets lit up in the midbrain for whatever reason. <laughs> we see watches and dopamine lights up in the midbrain and we can't explain why. And that reward center is just ignited. And it, uh, it's one of those things that I think we all experience. And those people who never have, you can never describe it or explain it to them. So it's a, it's a midbrain issue, I think. <laughs> Whiskey and physiology already? <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive. That's, uh, that's, that's the... That's the the most scientific origin story I think we've ever had. Um, uh, as far as you know, everybody else, you're right. They they they, they kind of talk about pinpointing that one thing. And I mean, when I tell the story, it was the idea of getting a first nice watch um, for you know, it's kind of an heirloom. Since my I don't really have too many things to my family doesn't have many things that we pass on. When my firstborn was born a few years ago, but at the same point, I think you talk about the collector's gene. My wife will tell you that I have a unofficial collection of T-shirts that I refuse to throw away. Yeah. Um, from like, some of them I've had since high school that are you know they're 15, 20, 25 years old T-shirts, but they still fit and I still wear them. <laughs> I'm using air quotes right there. So uh, the, the the gene I think is 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 completely correct. It, it it makes a lot of sense. It's just it it manifests itself in different ways. Um, and, and right now it's watches. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I think obviously those of us who are um, familiar with you on Instagram uh, know that you like to do a little something on Sundays, which um, was one, one of the one of the ways that I, I was kind of introduced to your account. The other the other we'll talk about later. Uh, I think you were on a panel with Grand Seiko. We'll get into that. Uh -huh. a little bit. Um, but uh, the, the closing ceremonies on Sunday night. When yeah. did you first get that idea? And I guess, how do you kind of figure out what goes with I mean, you're always spot on and the pictures are fantastic. So I, I always enjoy Sunday night. I'm always looking for it. <laughs> I think, well, I think because uh, someone else started it first. And and so I didn't know. I just thought it was something you did on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it was just like, it's Speedy Tuesday. So this yeah. is what we do on Sundays. This is you, you wear your Speedmaster Tuesdays. Yeah. So I thought it was just one of those things. and. But but what I like it's yeah it, it's a difference between appreciating and just consuming, and it's the same thing with watches. Are you just a consumer of watches? You go buy every steel Rolex you can get your hand on because you have access, or do you actually appreciate? So what I love about the Sunday, or even just drinking any whiskey or wine, is is to slow it down and actually appreciate it. Same way you would a watch where you appreciate what went into it, what are the flavors, you think about what you're tasting, what you're experiencing, you know, what, uh, what does this whiskey have that another one doesn't? And it forces you to kind of engage in that mind-body connection, slow the world down, pay attention, and it becomes more about appreciating than just consuming. You know, it's the difference between just doing some shots to get drunk and actually, yeah, trying to understand what's involved in in the whiskey process, what flavors are there, how is that typical of the region, you know, how is it affecting your palate, what parts of your tongue are are lit up. So when you when you can slow the world down and make that mind body connection, it's for me it's a form of meditation almost, and it's a, that quiet time. 
And then you have to think about how you're going to articulate and express it. There's a bit of quiet meditation every Sunday, which is needed before you, you get ready for the Monday chaos. So it, it's become a nice self-therapeutic ritual. But, uh, and, it, and it's fun because I tend to get a lot of bottles as gifts. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of bottles and a lot to a lot to explore. And with whiskey, it's it's like watches. There's a very steep learning curve, and and you can never know everything. And so uh, constantly learning, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And I, I think like watches, it's it's not just about the price point too. And so the more you can appreciate, it's it's beyond just consumerism it's beyond just the expensive bottles it's finding out what you really like you know what the tastes are to you yes yeah yeah so yeah. The, the funny thing there is um you have this nice relaxing ritual and also kind of marks a transition point to the week ahead and all yeah. its attendant cares that's I think there's a lot to to be learned there. I, I've always felt a uh, sense of dread, if you will, uh, <laughs> on Sundays, more so during school and whatnot. But no, knowing <laughs> that the week is ahead and the weekend is ending, so that's yeah. it's a neat neat way to to separate those. And also, so one one fun thing about uh, Rolex sports models. Mm-hmm. stainless steel sports mouse they'll appreciate whether you appreciate them or not <laughs> <laughs> at least for the time being that seems to be yeah. <laughs> uh, so did beanie babies uh, one <laughs> yes <laughs> yep i remember the collection mm-hmm. <laughs> i uh it's funny instinct so uh, i'm laughing and i'm looking behind me because i'm in our basement and our our son has a tent set up and he's gone through some of the old toys that my wife and I have gotten from our parents because they don't want to store them anymore. And we now have a place to store them in the storage room back here. And my wife opened some up, opened up a bin, and there were like seven Beanie Babies in there. <laughs> and instinctively, I was like, you're going to let him play with those? And she's like, I was like, yeah, it's a good point. Like, they're not worth anything anymore. But like, just instinctively, like, no, don't touch them. <laughs> like, I can remember 20 years ago, this was a big deal. <laughs> and, and it was the same way. You'd get people yeah. with no interest in Beanie Babies lining up, sending people in, you know. Oh, yeah. It, it was wild. Well, and you had the tag protectors because if you had the tag, just like yeah. now we have all the, all the stuff for your class yeah, and the locks for your watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> off your watch. Like, that's I don't know. For me, that's that's horrible because it's part of the romanticism about the watch is that it it it's touching you. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, DNA is rubbed off on the watch. It's it's a part of you, and especially when you get like said so the heirloom watches and watches that have belonged to to people. There's so much history and story and and romanticism about that. I just imagine if it was stickered up. <laughs> yeah. Off and, uh, there was no life lived with this watch so i mean that uh it's an interesting part right now for people who've been into watches for a while and now it's taken on this um this separate meaning of 
of commerce and, and investment. And I think that's where a lot of us are rejecting the whole consumerism idea of it. But it's um, it, it's wild. But at the same time, I for me, it feels like we've um, we've seen this episode. You know, it's just the hype and and the, the lack of intrinsic value in something compared to what it's selling for and the amount of people in it who don't really have a reason or, or a true passion. So for us, the value has always been the what we bring to the watch. And so when people don't care about it and it's just a, an opportunity to flip, uh, I think at some point uh, the, the ground is going to get shaky and, and the ice thin. So I, I can't see the, the whole Rolex thing being sustained. The interesting thing now with social media, they get a larger voice and, and a selection bias because if you're just following these watch accounts, all you see is, is the Rolex and the steel and people putting prices up and how much it's appreciated. And so you forget that there's an entire large world around that because you, you get the opportunity to, to live life with blinders on. And so that selection bias will make people believe that this is all that matters. And then the, the fear of missing out <laughs> kicks in to a larger degree. The flip side of that is that the attention span now is so short. <laughs> and so that makes people yeah. want to buy a premium. So they have it now, but at the same time, how long are they going to be interested in something like that? So yeah. with like tulips and Yeezys and, <laughs> and Supreme, <laughs> where's Supreme now? Like all these things that were so hot and had to have and paying premiums. You know, I think with watches, it'll be a little different because there's some notorious staying power in in the clientele. But yeah, I think um, I will will look back at this recording and they'll either say, man, that guy was so full of shit. <laughs> so I can't believe they were paying 25000 for a Pepsi back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 why and, and the funny thing is is I don't want to say we've kind of seen it with um with whiskey, but I mean you look at we, it's it's the same type of world with certain at least down here around us. Like I joke, you know, we were talking about Buffalo Trace earlier. Hmm. I can't find just regular Buffalo Trace like north of the Ohio, like north of the like in the Ohio area it, hmm. in the in the southwest region. Like I'm sure if I go into Kentucky, I can find now if I go visit my parents in northern Indiana. My grandparents, I can find I can find it on clearance because they ordered a ton of it and it's there. But it's like to drive like, and it's not like I have to drive. It's just I'm there. I know I can go get a bottle. I'm going to go get it because I know I'm going to have to hit five different liquor stores in Cincinnati to find a twenty five dollar bottle of Buffalo Trace. Mm -hmm. It's because it's popular. It, it's granted, it's good, but it's it's one of those things where you know, you know, watch companies can't increase production very quickly. They can. They could do it if they wanted to, but I know Patek doesn't make so many things because they don't want to be known for that. Um, Rolex makes so many steel models because I think they kind of, I don't know what they want to achieve with that because to me, Rolex is known for the Submariner and the Datejust and why those aren't just everywhere, I don't understand, but that's, they, they must have a strategy. Um, yeah. But like, you, yeah. Well, Rolex is brilliant. I mean, you can't really fault any Rolex. There's solid watches. I mean, I have seven mm. Rolexes and they're amazing watches, but it, and I don't think they've, they're in control of what's going on right now. Right. I think that it's taken on a life of its own. I think it was never their idea to have something like this happen. I don't think they're incredibly upset about it because right. the value yeah. of attention 
and their whole status as a, a luxury item and an item that everybody wants and is hard to get. I think that they're loving that right now. But the, the psychology now that you've got guys with amazing collections, guys with, you know, complicated precious metal annual calendars and perpetual calendars, all of a sudden begging to have an entry level oyster perpetual, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like what yeah. happened to psychology that, you know, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have given a, a watch like that a second look a right. year ago. Now you're begging your authorized dealer for a chance to buy something that um, you probably have no interest in. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you turn down a thousand times or wouldn't even stop in the showcase to, to look at it. Now, now you want it. I mean, that's the amazing, amazing part of the psychology. And, and it's, it's even more wild when you see yourself get caught up in it <laughs> because you know, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I maybe should get that watch. And it's like, I didn't like that watch for a discount. <laughs> you know, why, <laughs> do I really love it at twice its, its retail price. And it, it's hard because you catch yourself sometimes, but that's, that's the group think. And it's a tough thing not to fall into. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually these a hell of a drug. I mean, yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> well, that was the point I was going to make about whiskey is that the thing with some of the more expensive whiskeys is they're aged a certain amount of time and you can't go back 18 years yeah. or 12 years or 15 years and make more of it. There's only so much. Um, well, yeah, apparently that's a big part of with you look at the Macallan now mm -hmm. and all their non-age statements is because there was a time where those weren't selling very well at all. And now now that they're hot, they've only got so much. And so they've got to put something else out there. And so they're, they're trying to diversify a bit more. But it's because they were just sitting on this stuff for the longest time, wishing they could get rid of it. Now it's hot. They're, they're scrambling to try to preserve some so they can put out another 18 year, but they've got to wait. <laughs> so now they've, got to, <laughs> now they've got to put out other stuff. So they, they've been aggressive with their non-age statements, which I actually like more. And that, that's the, the other frustrating part is everyone chases the age statement. And just because it's spent more time in the barrel doesn't mean that it's a superior product. It just means they, they need to charge more to recoup their losses. But I, I find that, and a lot of people will, will talk low of, of blended whiskeys. I think some of the blends can be amazing if you have a good, a good master blender and he's using good malts. You know, if he's adding too much grain alcohol, it's a different story. But I think that just chasing the buzzwords, you're going to miss out on so much. If you're just chasing age statements or, or the, popular, the popular whiskeys, or just looking at it because it's expensive and looks impressive, you're going to miss out. That's the same thing with watches. And, and I think the, that's one of the things like with Seiko that I love so much about Seiko is because it's, it's about the watch. <laughs> it's never been about selling a fantasy or a lifestyle or, or an image. It's, it's just about the watch. <laughs> so you're the star of that story, not, not the watch and not, not this this fantasy life that they want to sell you by by buying their watch. So I, it's that's what I love most about it is it, it, even at the entry level you get amazing watches. So like at entry level you can get amazing whiskeys if if you just know what you like and, mm -hmm. and know what to look for. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's it's funny uh, you, you bring up Seiko um, in Grand Seiko. I know that's uh, 
that's uh, a brand that you're, you're a couple mm-hmm. brands technically since they're separated that you're quite fond of. Yeah. Actually, I remember, I can't remember exactly when it was. I feel like it was closer to when COVID had started. I think getting into the summer, you were on a, on a panel uh, with the new, um, it's the, uh, what was that? Is it the SoCo releases they did this year? Yeah. 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 So do you want to you talk to us a little bit about what that experience in and of itself was like? And then, you know, just a little bit more about uh, Grand Seiko and, and, and that and that spot in your collection. Yeah, I, I still know how I ended up <laughs> getting getting that trip. I it, um, but that was an amazing experience to go to Japan and and to the, the Seiko factory. But it again, it it and it drives home the art of watchmaking. And the amazing thing about the Seiko factory was how much pride there is at, at every level, even the, the people, you know, vacuuming the carpets there. I mean, just this sense of pride in, in being part of something. And then when you see the watches being made, how much human touch there is, is, is mind blowing because we've gotten so cynical and Swiss made doesn't mean Swiss made anymore. And handmade could mean anything depending on what your definition is. And so you you tour some other factories and they say handmade and hand finished and all this and you see them coming off the assembly line and you see the robots putting them together there is so much human touch to to bring these watches together and that was the, the most striking thing and then the assembly of the movements too i mean there's one person at the desk you know and putting putting together the pieces and to actually see them at work assembling the watches, knowing that they only make maybe thirty thousand a year, or not not eight hundred thousand, it uh, it brings home that that whole romanticism about watches, and it's the same with anything. Like we toured the the bourbon factories, when you actually see the process, it gives you a deeper appreciation for what's involved. And when it's a very commercialized robotic process, there, there's not much of that emotional attachment. But when you see the human touch, when you see the, the human involvement, when you see what actually the beginnings were of this, this finished product on your wrist, there's, there's a, a whole different story that goes with it. Because, you know, it was the effort of a lot of people to make it happen. And, and then there's the, the fact that it's so human and there's so much human touch, and yet there's such a level of perfection about about a grand seiko is is even more blind mind-blowing because it's it's that person's eye (laughs) that determines this angle is sharp enough this angle isn't so the quality control is up to that individual on that day and the nice thing about there is that they all just seem to love their job so much that they were either incredible actors for our benefit (laughs) or really really love it and and some of them their job is just to do that one angle and so they've gotten really good at that that level of polish so it was it was remarkable and and japan itself was so almost surreal because never seen anything that has such a a quiet powerful nature and then juxtaposed to this booming intimidating metropolis of lights and and tech when you when you get to tokyo and uh, the grand seiko is that embodiment of, of it because you have this this quiet powerful nature 
And yet there, there's so much technical and, and advanced um, thoughts that go into it. It's, it's, it's a perfect representation. And, and I just love the, the humility of it all because they're, they're so good at it. And yet at, at no point do they say, look at how, you know, they don't, they don't finish polishing and say, look at how awesome this case is <laughs> polished to perfection. But you know, it's just, you know, I hope you like this when we're done is kind of the attitude that they have. And it's, it's just amazing. And that's kind of what the watch uh, as a, a brand tends to represent. When you look at the people who are into Grand Seiko, it's, it's somewhat of a rejection of the consumerism part of watches and more just appreciation for the timepiece itself, appreciation for the efforts that go into it. And uh, I think that when you're into a brand, it's because the brand philosophy tends to resonate with your own. And that's what I love about Seiko and Grand Seiko is that it's about the effort, the, the quest for this perfection, the constantly trying to improve and at the same time, not trying to be exclusionary. Because even if your budget's only $300, we have something for you. And we've put in just as much effort and there's just as much pride. And so it doesn't have to be just for the people who can spend tens of thousands of dollars. It's it's for everyone. And that, that's what the watch world is about. That's, that's what the whiskey is about. <laughs> it's about just, you know, coming together through all, all different parts of, of life and, and the world. So it, it's the inclusivity. And I think there's no brand that does it as well as Seiko and Grand Seiko to include everyone and still make it part of, of meaningful watchmaking. Yeah, it, it, it's truly incredible um, from the most entry-level Seiko 5 with its non-well aligned Riho ring uh, to some of the complications uh, you know, that, that they have at uh, Grand Seiko and um, yeah, it just it, it's and it's really interesting too because I mean you you've been there you, you've you've seen you, you've seen these these craftsmen at work right there's there's the and I think it's safe to assume that they didn't wheel you by some watchmaking Potemkin village, right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> where they make the Grand Seikos. <laughs> Just the fact that, that that craftsman ethos lives on. And I mean, you know, all of all of the the products that uh, that come out of Japan. I mean, they, th these were the the foremost disciples of Edward Deming, right? They were on the leading edge of statistical process control, Six Sigma, all all of these great ideas on how to make production more consistent, better, and all of that. And and to see, you know, to to put crucial checks solely to the discretion of a person that is intimately trained for a long time on, on how to do that uh, would seem just incredibly crazy and wild and foolhardy. Um, but the, the fact that that lives on and obviously works because the results speak for themselves. They're incredible. It's uh, that's that's pretty much how they train surgeons to operate on your heart and brain. And uh, you know, it's the same idea. They and they have to train 
for a long time and and really earn their stripes to be able to work on a Grand Seiko. So it's not like they just put up a wanted ad and uh, you know help wanted and and in you come and okay we're we're polishing the Ratsu today. So it is almost like a a school and residency and fellowship and and by the time you you know you've trained long enough then you get to you get to do the Grand Seiko. And and you don't get to do one on your own until your your preceptor and and the attending is is satisfied with your work. So it's it's very much like for me medical school and residency and training. It's it's almost the same paradigm where you're not ready to do a surgery on your own until he's he's watched you do a few and then you you pass the bar. So it's um, and I think that's that's probably what connects me to it on on a different level too. You just see so much of of yourself manifest in, in the watch. Well, and, and there, I, I still want to know, I mean, you were there. I don't, I still don't understand how they do the dial work that they do. I mean, some of the, some of the dials that they, I, and even, even just their plain ones are gorgeous, but like yeah. I'm looking at the watch that I'm currently wearing and I have no idea how they made that dial. Like I yeah, have no idea how you go about doing that. They wouldn't show us. <laughs> so can we can we see some of the dials being made in the micro artist you could see them painting with the uh the credors mm-hmm. and you see them actually painting the font on the um on the face and and things like that but as far as the dial creation no that was a <laughs> tightly locked room i mean i get it <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it um yeah, it was wild, but yeah, Grand Seiko uh, right now is my my main interest in in watches, and uh, things like anything at any point could catch my catch my eye. <laughs> you know, there's so many there's so many great brands out there. It uh, I just for me I'm more interested in the watches now than than the stunts and the the publicity and and the uh, the hype machines. And you see some brands kind of chasing that so much now. Uh, yeah, I love Omega a lot, but um, you know, you see what they're trying to do now, and and you know, the longer you've been collecting, the more you see the the strategies and and some of the behind the scenes work. You, you almost wish you didn't <laughs> didn't yeah. see. You know, you don't want to know how sausage is made, <laughs> and, and sometimes you see some of the some of the behind the scenes motivations and thoughts and. And some of that kills some of that romanticism and mystique about the watches. But it, um, you know, there's just so many brands out there making so many good watches. It's it's got to be tough for a lot of brands because there's so much competition more than ever before. Oh, definitely. I mean, and you mentioned Omega. I, I know that 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 brand shows up quite a bit uh, in your collection. I guess you know we we got into what sparked your interest in, in kind of why you're into Grand Seiko. I guess why uh, why Omega as well. Well, Omega, so Omega is fine. It was the James Bond watch. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was the first, the first yep. bit of cash that you have, right? And so that was your first expensive watch. And, and the one you love first is is generally the one you love most. And then um, what happened? I went from Omega, and then you go down that Rolex road because that's the what what you thought you do. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the road that you thought you're supposed to go down. You know, as you as you achieve more and and your disposable income rises, but 
Rolex has always had a little bit of a stigma for me and, and I could never wear Rolex to work. And I always felt a little weird about it. And we're in, um, you know, socialized medicine. So, you know, you can't wear a watch that everybody knows and they know it's expensive and they know that, you know, some of them is, is more than what some people make in a month. And so it just, it just seemed wrong to wear some of those watches. So I kind of rejected the, the status symbol that Rolex was. And so Amiga for the longest time for me was that, that modest alternative. Cause I felt that piece for piece, especially when the planet ocean came out, I, I thought it was superior on every level to the Submariner. And I thought piece for piece, these are, these are better watches, better priced. And it's, it's something I can wear without feeling like I'm bragging or, or, and even if you're not just the, the, the projection that other people might have, you know, you, you can wear it without having to assume any judgment. And so that's where Amiga was the Rolex alternative. And for the longest time, that's what it was. It was Amiga and Rolex kind of duking it out. And then the last little while it something, something happened. I think when, when the markets changed, the Amiga started to go down market a little bit and Rolex just took off, especially with the stainless steel level. And, and now you rarely hear Omega and Rolex in, in the same conversation. So, Which is but. weird because, I mean, I think up until some of the upgrades that we've seen in the Submariner, I mean, most people would argue from a movement in specs technology, I mean, the, the, the Seamaster, even just the entry-level Seamaster 300, or the Seamaster oh, yeah. original, it's a, it, for the longest time, it had better specs from a movement perspective and the same specs on the exterior. It's really just what style do you like better than the other? Because, I mean, pound for pound, that's a just as good of, if not a better watch than the Submariner was. I think the Submariner kind of changed that a little bit with some of the new stuff that came out in September yeah. uh, from a movement perspective. But, I mean, I don't know why a Submariner is two to $3,000 more um, or why the green, the one with the green um, bezel is another $1,000 more than the one with the black bezel. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I mean... It's uh, it's one of those where you know I I have got the uh, the th uh, the black and white Seamaster 300. Uh, that's the the one that I've got for my second son. Um, I have a little bit of a criteria, so Omega bailed me out, or Omega bailed me out uh, because I have to get a uh, yeah. I did it again. I did it again. <laughs> um, People watching at home don't yep. didn't see the disapproving looks that shot up on on both RJ and my face. <laughs> Um, no, my criteria is it has to be a, a stainless steel sports sports watch on a bracelet that came out the year they were born. Um, mm. They bailed me out because there wasn't much that came out in 2019 for my second born until that white dial came out, and I was like, okay, okay, I'm, it's it's in the right price range. But where I, okay, I'm I'm good, I'm good because that one and I I absolutely love that watch and the Planet Ocean. They came out with that new orange one, which mm. um, is a real looker. Um, you know, they've got, they've got some, some really, really neat stuff. The one that I, it's not in my collection yet, but it's one I've been eyeing and I don't quite understand what they're doing with it is the constellation. I love the constellation. I know I'm one of the few people in North America that does. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of my, it's, it's, the, it's their integrated bracelet sport watch. Like, yeah, it's, it's, that's what it is. <laughs> Some of the upgrades are, are fantastic. Yeah, I, Omega is interesting because they—it's almost like they don't know what to do with some of the watches they have. Yeah, and every year is one of my biggest criticisms. Is like this big, just scatter shot 
type of approach and just throw everything at the wall and, and see what sticks. And some amazing models would would be buried by some of their others. And they would, they would cannibalize themselves. I mean, the year the, the Speedmaster 57 came out, which I think is still one of the best Speedmasters they've ever made, completely shadowed by, by the dark side of the moon. Yeah. And then, you know, hold back on some of that or, or release it later. And so it was always this, this massive shock and awe strategy and just throw it all out there, get as many watches sold to the, the points of sale. And I think that was a big problem is that, you know, for any of these big um, brand, brands that are part of a big conglomerate, you know, they, they've still got to report to Hayek or Richemont or LVMH. And so as soon as a watch leaves the factory, it's sold as far as their books are concerned. Yeah. So if they have more watches they could sell to their vendors, they, they've had a good, a good sales quarter. It doesn't matter if the vendor's stuck with them or dumps them on Joma Shop or, <laughs> or ends up discounting it at huge, huge prices. You know, when they've left the factory, they've sold and, and Hayek's happy. So I think their strategy for a while was just push it all out there and, and get good quarterly bonuses. And, and that's where now when I, my main collection in the last few years has just been independence because Rolex doesn't have to do that. Admar doesn't have to do that. Patek doesn't have to do that. Seiko, you know, it's still Shinji Hattori. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's his great-grandson, so our great-grandson, but it's still the family-owned. They could sacrifice next quarter in order to still be here in, in 100 years, mm-hmm. whereas if the current CEO sacrifices next quarter, the next CEO might benefit from it. Yeah. So that whole different strategy has affected um, – the, the watches and the brands in, in a big way, especially now where value retention is, is somehow part of the conversation. Whereas before it would just be assumed, you know, yeah. you're not buying it, you're not buying it to resell it. You're not buying it because of its investment potential. You're buying it because you, you want to wear that watch or you really like that watch. Yeah. I mean, Omega does have some head scratchers, right? The, mm. the, the Connie should be, should be, hot but they, they don't push it the Railmaster is not really needed because the aquaterra is a magnetic it's like the original ethos of yeah. it, right uh, the of uh you know an engineer's watch it, yeah. it's it's not uh neat. by the way the aquaterra the bumblebee uh <laughs> second sand one i think that thing is so choice <laughs> fantastic yeah well and then so the problem with the Railmaster, they were that was their millennial grab watch <laughs> and, and that strategy i think backfired they wanted something affordable they they were going to build it around cindy crawford's son and it was going to be the perfect watch for your, your kid graduating high school i think is how they they wanted to sell it which is a, a tough thing to do with uh, with a brand like that. Yeah. Because a lot of the people who love Omega for so long and love the Moonwatch and the, the Seamaster and the story for it, a lot of us worked really hard to be able to get our first Omega. <laughs> and now I say, yeah, it's a perfect thing for a, a snot-nosed kid graduating high school <laughs> to, to <laughs> give him an Omega. I'm like, well... No, this is <laughs> this is something that you work hard to achieve. 
you know, this is uh, this is an important watch. This isn't uh, a gift for a kid. This is this is something that that you earn and aspire to. And so when, when they lowered the floor with the real master, that was, that was the first step where they started to lose me. Um, and my connection to the brand was a little bit um, a little bit more distant because they started to market to someone with different priorities or different values. And, and they, they took a lot of their watches and went a little more fashion minded with them. And, and I think that, um, that, that was the first step that real master, like that was, a, that was a bit of a misstep for me in, in Omega. And like you said, completely unnecessary. Yeah. Because their their entry level as it was was so good, mm-hmm. and the Seamaster three hundred and and the Aquaterra and even the Deville Prestige, I mean, there's just no reason to have that Railmaster other than to do a millennial grab. Yeah, and I think it's tough if you try to be all things to all people. It it's a recipe for disaster. You're going to be nothing to anyone. Yeah, uh, I guess while we're still just on this top, I do have to ask. Um, a couple of their their um, more sought after watches that have come out recently from Omega haven't been uh, limited edition. They've been obviously limited production with what they're going to be doing or what they're able to do, but there's no set number. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to uh, that could have one of two effects or they could be going for one of two effects. Obviously, if it's a limited edition, you know how many there are, you know that that's, that's how many there are there's always going to now be a question around how many of those were actually ever produced during the production. Mm-hmm. I look at the, the new uh, silver Snoopy award yeah. and the new James Bond watch that have just been, re- oh, the, the Bond watch may end up in production longer if that movie never comes out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just curious as to your thoughts on, on that strategy instead of actually having a finite number. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. They don't want to lo- leave any money on the table. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that was a big thing with the, the first Snoopy when they saw it go for above list. And, and now it's going for just absolutely ridiculous prices. Yeah. And I remember turning that down a dozen times. It, it did nothing for me. You know, for me, I'm not going to buy a watch unless I really want to wear it. And it's mm-hmm. and it's something I wear in my style. And it was just never my style. Now it goes for um like 30,000 or more. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But, um, you know, when they saw that, <laughs> they realized that they left a lot of money on the table. And so I think the non-limited is, is part of that. And you look at the Apollo 11 with 7,000. Mm-hmm. The hard part is they, you can see the strategy. They're trying to slow it down. And the Apollo, they did a, a reasonable job because, if you go into a, a boutique or anywhere, they'll say it's sold out. And you know that not all 7,000 Apollo 11s are being made. That'll be continue to be made for a, a few years yet. The trap is you, they, they were able to get it to sell at a bit of a premium early. Now it's come down, I think, to around MSRP. I'm, I don't have much interest in that watch, so I haven't been following the trends. But I think that you're going to reach a point where it's it's discounted again. Because by the time they make their 7,000th watch or 6,996, however many they made, people will have lost interest. Mm-hmm. And so then you get the danger of a visible evidence of, of a hype train crashing. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit of a dangerous game because you, you can only play the hype card for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be intrinsic value. 
And so at least the, the Snoopy at its price, it's, it, it's, uh, an okay price. It's not a fantastic value proposition. I think you'll see the same kind of thing, early premiums and hype, but as long as they're going to keep making it for a few years, you'll see, um, I think you'll see a fizzle because the other problem is that something else is going to come along. Mm. Something else from Omega is going to yeah. come along. And so the Snoopy now takes the wind out of the Apollo 11 sails. And, and when the Bond movie hits, you know, it's going to yep. take some of the, some of the wind out of some of the sails of, of some of their other models. So I think it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It's uh, again, the new Snoopy doesn't do a heck of a lot for me. Uh, it's a cool watch. I, I can see why a lot of people are excited about it. The, the case back, I think, is, is really neat. You know, would I pay 11000 for it? I'd probably put it towards other watches. But I think you'll see it really popular and hyped and flexed and and then um, promoted. And, and you might see a bit of a pump and dump on that one. It's weird to talk about watches like you do stocks. Stocks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> it. Uh, Eleven grand for a watch with a cartoon character on it is the world's biggest flex. It really uh, is. Let's not really kid is. ourself. It that's, really is. That that's yeah. saying that you have enough money to buy <laughs> almost six of the first car that I owned <laughs> for a watch with a cartoon guy on it. Like, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I know we're we're getting closer to an hour, so I do want to shift gears a, a little bit. Um, obviously, uh, RJ is involved in the in a, in a November fundraiser, uh, something that is is a cause that is, uh, yeah, as he described to us earlier, uh, earlier before we start recording, that he kind of lives every day. Um, so why don't we talk a, a little bit about uh, the cause, um, what Movember kind of stands for, and then kind of you know what why it hits uh, why it hits home for you a little bit because I, I think it is something that we do need to uh, uh, raise awareness of to a to a degree and. It's a, you know, this is a great platform because I'm finding out that about 95% of our listeners or followers on Instagram are men. So it's a, it's a pretty good audience. <laughs> Women don't like whiskey and watches nearly as much. I guess. <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah. So the Movember thing, it's Movember just gives it a, a big platform. And, and for me, the thing that's very interesting in medicine is that you know, when it, when it comes to men's health, there, there is that, that big stigma that is a, is a barrier, especially for guys in that, that late twenties to, to late sixties age, where you're expected to be the, the patriarch and in control and, and always be that, that figure of strength. Cause those guys, they'll come in for their cholesterol and they'll come in for their heart, heart issues but those are kind of manly problems. You know, cholesterol's high. I, I eat too much steak. You know, I, I drink too much whiskey. So I've got these problems. But um, the the actual medical illness, when when they're very elderly, people want to take care of men. You know, the the you know, paying back your dad now that he's old and can't take care of himself as much as he took care of you. So that's part of the circle of life. But um, for, for guys our age and, and in that age range to, to have an illness is very hard because we're expected to play a different role. And especially with mental illness, I think that 
the biggest part is getting over that barrier because it it feels like it shouldn't be or if you have it there's something wrong with you because no other guy in the world deals with these things guys are strong and in control and and always taking care of everyone else so i think that the, the first step is to break down those barriers about you know having especially mental illness and normalizing it to the point where the measure of strength is actually going in and doing something about it and then the awareness of some of the other illnesses like prostate cancer testicular cancer testicular cancer is one of those things that young guys do get mm-hmm. and and again just just the awareness it it might be different in canada because we have a socialized system but most guys if they feel something funny with their balls they're going to they're going to come in the tough part is in places where that would involve a, a cost or a fee or or a copay that might be a barrier so i think some of the education of is it worth going in and using your copay you know what could it mean so to to educate people about the importance of some of these things that would warrant a visit to educate them about the importance of normalizing some of the things they're feeling and and breaking down that idea of masculinity and reframing it to something that that means more is is an important part of what November does is because they they raise the awareness and and start the conversations so it's very hard for most guys to assume that sick role because it's something we've never been made comfortable to to assume it's something society doesn't expect us to assume and it's it's very difficult for most guys to do it so starting the conversation about what it is how to how to get through it normalizing it reframing expectations of of what it means to to be a man and be masculine i think is is really important because there there's a lot of guys especially with mental illness and depression suffering in silence and that's that's the toughest part is is the ones who you can help that's just won't come in because uh, too much shame or or fear or, or whatever reasons so so that's a, the big value of november is is breaking down some of those walls yeah i mean especially with the mental health stuff some of it may be some apprehension of of not mm. not wanting to seem unwell and so you know some of it might be despair too right well mm. what could someone do to help yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll just get through it and uh, yeah. you, you don't have to I mean the, it's there, there's been a lot more mental illness seemingly and, and this year's yeah. been, been tough on everyone yeah. so if you know if if you're having those sort of thoughts hey, you gotta reach out and, and, and get some help yeah. oh man that's there, there's nothing nothing wrong with that yeah, and that's what I say. I mean, if if we found that your thyroid was underactive, no one would hesitate to accept thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. And yet, if there's a deficiency of serotonin in your neuronal synapse, why is that something that you can just snap out of, or why is that um, your your fault or your responsibility? You know, no one would feel shame about having an underactive thyroid, but you're ashamed for for having the feelings of depression that are every bit as as hormonal and, and neurochemical in a lot of the cases. So it's, um, I think those, those are the important messages that without something like that might not 
might not get out or at least one month a year is an effort to try to get those messages out. Definitely. I mean, it, like Buzz said, it's, it's, it's been a tough year just in general with, with, you know, we, we joked about the whole, you know, I haven't been in the office in eight months. Uh, it just, it's, things have been strange. And I think maybe this year more so than any with, with, you know, you know, with potential shutdowns and lockdowns and, you know, jobs kind of being, you know, kind of in question, depending on what industry you're working in. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot going on from a mental health perspective this year in general. So, I mean, the fact that we're, we're closing in at the end of 2020, everyone's joking, you know, we can't wait for 2021 because hopefully some good stuff will happen. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, uh, it, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to focus on. I mean, obviously you know, the, the, there's, there's help to be had if, if you need it and it, you know, there's no shame in going in and, 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 and reaching out for, for that type of a type of, an appointment. Well, especially you think about how many guys define themselves by their job mm-hmm. or their yeah, role yeah. as um, as a breadwinner or man of the house. It's it's devastating for a lot to now be jobless and with no seeming place in the world. So it's um, you know that's I think an important message that we we support each other. Because there's very little sympathy towards men yeah. <laughs> right now, uh-huh. especially, especially like I said, I guys in this age group, you know, there, there's no sympathy towards us, uh, old frail men, helpless little baby boys, <laughs> sure, but uh, for for us, um, you know, we, we've only got each other, <laughs> yeah, because uh, the rest of the world doesn't really seem to care that much. Exactly. And when, when some of the, the normal coping mechanisms that you have aren't, are off the table, right? Spending, spending time with, with your buddies, yeah. you know, being able to, to get away from the house and, and, and hit up a brewery, mm-hmm. something like that, go, go <laughs> yeah, over yeah. it and, you know, and, and grill, you know, when all that stuff is off the table, it just amplifies it. So you have, tougher circumstances and you know, take away one of that layer of uh, coping. It's, it's, yeah. it's a rough combination. So this year, mm-hmm. November, the, you know, the, the things that, that they're, they're trying to improve is, is more important than ever. Yeah. I, I think, that, and that's the main one because I mean, prostate cancer, fantastic prognosis, especially if you screen for it, mm-hmm. testicular cancer. Again, that's the one that hits the guys who should feel in, invincible, mm-hmm. the, the younger guys, but amazing prognosis if, if you catch it early. So, I mean, the awareness, if you feel something funny, just go get it checked out. And it's a very simple, non-invasive thing to do to, to get an ultrasound of your, of your scrotum. It doesn't hurt and, and it's not dangerous radiation, but it'll tell you everything you need to know. So if there's any doubt, just, go in and get it checked out because if it is something like that, it's, it's curable. You know, like the prognosis is amazing most of the time. And I think that the one thing that prognosis isn't as great in is, is some of the, the emotional uh, mental health and and men's issues. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Kind of a tough subject to end on. Well, we can, we can swing, we can swing back. We'll swing back to watches real quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, no, we're like no, we're that giant block of ice in Mike's glass. What the hell is that all about? Yeah, no, <laughs> no downer, no downer endings. 
Look, we did I have we, a listener ask if we, if, we, uh, if we added the jingle jangle in from the ice cubes that, that I like to use. Um, and no, those are actual ice cubes uh, that are in there. Um, but no, uh, I guess just, I wouldn't if it's allowed. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, one of the other things, before, we'll, we'll end on a high note. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the trips you said you mentioned uh, was going and touring a couple of distilleries that was down there um, in Kentucky when there was a golf tournament down there. So why don't we talk yeah. a little bit about that trip? It was with uh, a brand that uh, that we were just talking about, Omega, uh, a little bit. Yeah. And then uh, I think you said Rory won the tournament too, which was uh, he's yeah. one of their brand ambassadors and helped design their titanium watch that has the pop-out crown. And Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is an amazing watch. I, I would have handled that one differently. Um, because, because it's amazing. And, and instead of the story being about Rory's input and the tech and, and how light it was and how revolutionary and, and how hard they worked to bring it to light, what grabbed all the headlines was, was the price. Yeah. (laughs) they, They would have been better having it a concept. Yeah. And then, and then the people who said, I want it, I want it. They could say quietly, okay because of all the R and D and because of everything involved, we have to charge this. Are you okay with that? And there's a whole lot of people who would have said, shit. Yeah. Give me two. Yeah. And, and <laughs> instead to, to put it out there as a, a regular collection watch for what is it? 48,000 yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah. I, I would have handled it a little differently because the people who are going to buy it, you, you could sell it to them directly. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't need to put it on your website with a price tag. Mm-hmm. And so the story should have been about how revolutionary it was to put those materials together and what it meant. And, and instead the, the story was, was all about the price, which um, was a lot for, it was. <laughs> for what well, yeah. the thing about that watches. I mean, I would have, I mean, that's not anything that's anywhere near something I could afford, but I can remember. So I, I do I, I know, I know Buzzy golfs on occasion. RJ, do you golf at all or not? No. Okay. No. So I, I actually, you know, I, I'm not an avid golfer anymore, but like I, you know, we, my, my wife learned to play when we lived across the street from a course, uh, when we first moved down to Cincinnati, I've golfed off and on since I was in high school. I also obviously played, I played baseball, so you can't play golf mm-hmm. and baseball at the same mm-hmm. time because it messes up your swing. Um, at least that's what everybody told me. So, uh, so I didn't play it as much in high school as I would have liked. Uh, but when I started golfing for work, I had, you know, this is back in my, before I really got into watch, I had a citizen diver that I would play in. And like, I, I start, like I started wearing that watch after I got it. And then that year I was like, man, my elbow was really, and you know, I'm a younger guy. So younger guys, when you play those types of sports, you swing as hard as you can. I swing the golf club off the tee as hard as I can every time, because again, it goes back to that's, that's what I'm, that's what I do. I want to, I want to hit that ball as far as I can. I don't really care which direction it goes. You know, I'm going to swing as hard as I can. Um, and it was, you know, my elbow was just killing me and I couldn't figure out what it was. It's like, what am I doing differently? I had the little thing, like the little thing to help with the, and then eventually (laughs) I was playing pickup basketball with a buddy of mine from, from junior high, who was a doctor. And he's like, he's like, what you're describing to me sounds a lot like tennis elbow. And I'm like, do you think it could, I said, I I've never played with, he goes, I don't know, take it off. See if it helps. Like maybe that. So I, st- like, I don't play with a watch. I don't have any pain, but it was that citizen diver that I had. I would, sw- I would wear it because it had, it, it had a rubber strap. So it wasn't overly heavy and I would swing and my elbow would just kill. 
Um, so I was giving myself tennis elbow by playing golf with a watch on. So I, I get why that titanium watch with a titanium movement, something like that makes a ton of sense for a golfer. Uh, cause yeah. I don't swing anywhere near as hard as Rory McIlroy does. <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, that's why they don't wear the watches. They, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I saw Dustin. They, they yeah. get the trophy and someone slaps a watch on, on his yeah. wrist. I but, saw uh, Dustin Johnson today pull his Ublo out of his bag. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, no, that was uh, that was that's another interesting piece they did. I mean, they've they've got such well, a wide array, and and they did the um, what do they call it? The, the not the the deep sea, but uh, oh, mm-hmm. they called it the ultra deep or the super yeah. deep, and 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 that was brilliant because that was a they just kept it as a concept, mm-hmm. and that's a watch that I would love to buy. And that's the thing that I'm sure they're going to sell at some point when they, when they can make it in, in a reasonable way, but, and it'll probably be 50,000 or whatever it is, but I think they should have done the same strategy there because it's more about the achievement, the accomplishment, commitment to research and development, as opposed to being a, a retail piece to, to build you for price. Yeah. And you know, definitely. you know what, all of this Omega talk and we haven't even gotten out the plow prof oh, yeah <laughs> so red bar cincinnati I, I i guess i'm gonna come out and say for the entire group of us in uh, general we pretty much love the plow prof would you say that's a fair statement spence yeah we're a big fan uh there's there's a lot of us like i think i don't know that anybody actually has one but I know that there, it's the tires have been kicked several times, and I know you do. I know I say so. Let's, yes. let's talk about. I know that. I know, that's one that you've got. <laughs> Which is it's, a, it's such a great watch. It's heavy, <laughs> but it, it's a lot of fun. But again, it, it only comes out in the summer, and and vacations to to resort islands. I don't think that one's going under a sleeve anytime soon. Yeah, you're not going to wear it with a suit. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's great that they still make it. I, I, I love, and they, they doubled down on it and, and continued to make it. And they made the titanium. And, and the titanium making it lighter killed it for me a bit. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, wait, it's, it's a heavy tank on your wrist. So I, I love that watch. Yeah. Especially on the, uh, on the Shark Mesh bracelet. It's, it's oh, a heavy yeah. watch. Have but to be it's on. such a good look. I mean, that like, I get, I get that watch on rubber, but man, that watch on a on the shark mesh, like, yeah. it, it, yeah, it's definite statement. Definitely, definitely. So, well, I mean, Buzzy, do you have any other questions? I mean, we've we've we've. It, it's funny. We always you always go into this thing. Man, we're gonna talk for an hour, and then you look down. It's it's over an hour. We've had a great conversation, Buzzy. I haven't I haven't got anything else to 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 ask. We've we've touched everything we wanted to talk about. I feel like we really have, and you know, it's it's been such a a, a splendid time. We really appreciate having you on, RJ. Before I logged in tonight, I didn't think that we were gonna talk about buff. Beanie Babies, Buffalo <laughs> Trays, the, the, the astute amongst us will hear a reference to Supreme clothing or perhaps yep. the nunchucks. Um, <laughs> maybe Supreme could make a, a watch box or something for, for the hype beast watch enthusiasts. Yeah. Us. And the Plo yeah. Prof. So that's a pretty nice, 
pretty nice breadth of topics. <laughs> we've, uh, I think we've done, we've done quite a bit. Obviously we got to talk about a little bit more of a, an important topic that, you know, that this podcast is obviously something that we enjoy doing. We talk about a lot of, you know, hobbies and frivolous stuff and, and things that we enjoy. Uh, but it's, it's a way to, 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 to bring a little bit of enjoyment, hopefully to our listeners, uh, all seven of you every week that we joke that we have seven, <laughs> our seven listeners, but uh, no, RJ, we, we really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us for, for about an hour on a, on a Sunday night. Um, it's, it's been an absolute blast and, and, and a ton of fun to, to talk to you and get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. It's, you know, the one thing with COVID is some of these zoom connections and, and virtual connections are, are really great to have. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've helped connect people across the world who otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity. Not everyone can go to the, the meetups and, and the conferences. So no, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, we, uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, oh, where can everybody, if they, if they aren't already following you, uh, which I would imagine a good number of our listeners probably already do, where can they find you on Instagram? Uh, it's just RJ K A M A RJ Kama awesome. or, or super doc. There you works. go. There you go. Um, and, and I can still say, I know he posted a picture earlier uh, this weekend. He still has his mustache. It's going strong uh, for everybody who would, everybody who uh, is keeping score at home. Um, so we, uh, RJ, it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I know Buzz did too. Thank you so much. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed that. And uh, thanks everyone. Take care. Thanks. See ya. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We are enthusiasts, not experts, so don't at us. But you can find us on Instagram at whiskey.and.watches.podcast. Also, visit our website at zeitzwatches.com. Zeitz is spelled Z-E-I-T-Z. Thank you.